Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald at the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest of this Friday. Who is my guest today, you might be wondering? Well, it's a brilliant woman by the name of Heike Mertens, who is an author, a blogger, and speaker about grief, grieving, and recovery. She is the author of Grief is... Thoughts on Loss, Struggle, and New Beginnings, published in 2017, which chronicles her journey through the bizarre, frustrating, and at times humorous world of incomprehensible loss. Following the death of her brother and husband, Heike began to document the process of loss, emotion, and healing that accompanies a momentous life change. The Kirkus Review noted her work as compelling due to her adamant refusal to file the rough edges of her emotions in order to make readers more comfortable. In closing, the reviewer wrote that the book will surely provide some comfort to those facing a similar loss. Heike likes to think of her writings as pulling back the curtain of one of the few experiences we still prefer to not think about. A taboo that leaves those who grieve isolated and those wishing to support them at a loss as to how to do so. A taboo it is her personal mission to help dismantle. Hers is a message of hope for those who grieve. Her background in facilitation and teaching accompanied by her own experience of profound loss makes her presentations and writings both thought-provoking and inspirational. Her insight into the personal world of grieving and the challenges that accompany it gives participants a deeper understanding of what it means to grieve. Today, Heike is committed to improving how we perceive and how we manage grief. Doing so has become her heart work. I want to welcome you to the show, Heike. How are you, my friend? I'm doing really well, Lisa. I'm so happy to be here today. Thanks. Well, it's an honor to have you here, particularly talking about such an important pivotal subject matter, which we know impacts all of us at one point or another or multiple times throughout the course of our journey. And so knowing as the followers do, which I'm very grateful for the people who are joining us here today, they know that this is a very unscripted and organic conversation. I think it makes for much more authentic dialogue. But what I would like to do, Heike, is I'd like to open up with asking the obvious question. What was it outside of the deaths themselves and you grieving that precipitated the writing of this particular book? Because uh, well, not, not everybody who grieves writes a book or becomes an author. So what, what was the catalyst in knowing that this was your bigger calling? Um, I think the thing that really kind of motivated me was in part 
because when I had these losses of my brother and my husband 18 months apart, uh, that I felt very isolated. I was in my end 40s. Um, and the more I talked to other people who were grieving, I realized that my, my experience was not unique, that there was a great deal of misunderstanding, uh, misbeliefs around the whole grieving process. Uh, it seemed to, you know, I guess it was a disconnect between what I used to believe about it being so much more neat and kind of linear to being in that space and realizing, you know, how disorienting it could be, how frightening at times, um, at times also funny, but generally a massive disconnect. And I thought, you know, what if you don't have all these wonderful people around you to support you like I did? What if you're not um, courageous enough to ask the questions, you know, of the people who are there? What if some of the things are so frightening to you that you don't even want to breach them in counseling or with friends? And I thought, wow, those people would be very alone. So mm. if I could share some of the things that I wrote, maybe they would feel less alone. And maybe in the process, more of us would share our stories. And then maybe we would understand grief a little bit better. Beautiful. Well, I'm sure I, I don't speak, I speak for everybody. The fact that you decided to do this and the way in which it's provided comfort, because a lot of people, as you would know, for your own personal experience, Heike, as well as for myself, who's endured loss uh, upon loss upon loss throughout the course of my journey, you know, sometimes you just need to be left alone, but you need to have some tangible tools in which to navigate, maneuver you throughout the process. Um, healing is very much, as we know, an individual experience. No two people come out of it on the other end in the same way or as a result of the same resources. So the fact that you birthed that particular book and you decided to dispel some of those misconceptions, which I'd like to delve deep into with you in further discussion, I want to thank you. I think the work that you're doing here is very profound. It's very much necessary uh, and it's very much, it's in your face. I mean, death, dying, grief, loss, it, you know, we're dealing with this every single day in some regard, whether it's people relinquishing a childhood, loss of innocence, and, and not to minimize or negate what your book is specifically about or the journey of what it is you're referencing. But I think it's just such a broad subject matter that anybody can relate on some level with what it means to lose and to and to deal with and grapple with having to reinvent yourself or how, how to look upon living a new so-called normal life. So let's talk about some of those misconceptions around the subject matter of grieving. What, what can you personally attest to as having been some of those uh, that were imparted your way by others who just didn't grasp it or didn't get it? Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I write about and I've spoken about is, and I want to start with that one because I think it's very important, is our language. We tend to have this belief that it's about moving on from loss, you know, mm. whether, you know, as you said, you know, loss from childhood or loss, whatever it is, that we always seem to move on from it. And this experience has taught me that that's, you know, it's the incorrect term for it. We move forward with it. We have to take all these experiences, including our grief stories, you know, with us, and we have to build them into our lives as we move into, the, you know, the larger scheme of what our life is. Uh, and that takes time, you know. So I think the fact that we move forward and not on, because on seems as if there's, you know, a cutoff point, you know. And, you know, once you've hit this point and you hear this, you know, and I've heard this, you know, 
oh, it's been a, it, it been a year. Surely they should have moved on. And you kind of go, well, no, they're just kind of moving forward. And they, as long as you continue to move forward, then you're going in the right direction. You know, it is a bit of a dance, as you know. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. backwards, right? Sometimes we go sideways. Sometimes, sometimes we're in a place we is completely unfamiliar. But, you know, I think as we continue to move forward, you know, we do rewire our brains in a way that enables us to, you know, build new lives. So I think that's one thing. That's a big one is that we don't move forward. We move, we don't, sorry, we don't move on. We move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, is the time piece. You know, it's like this is notion that, you know, within three months, you should be here. Within six months, you should be here. Within a year, you should be here. Um, and as you mentioned, everybody's loss is different. Uh, so it's going to take everybody as long as it's going to take. And, you know, I've learned that also there will be people who will never really be able to um, come to terms with their losses, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, And, you know, I'm so fortunate in that, you know, I think in some ways, you know, it's not that I've come to terms with it, but I've been able to take this piece of my life and to move forward with it, where some people will just, you know, remain wherever they are, you know, And, and that's, you know, for me, it's sad. I think it's a sad, it's sad for them, you know, mm-hmm. but that, that too is a reality and we have to be able to accept that, you know, uh, that's another thing that not everybody's going to be in the same place and it's going to have a massive impact on some people throughout their entire lives. Um, another thing I think is that, uh, this idea that somehow or other, you know, that when someone dies, we're somehow freed, you know, I, I've, heard people and people have said to me oh well now you can do whatever you want to do and I was like you don't really feel like that (laughs) kind of like you know and and I've heard you know people say oh you know so and so passed away and now they're traveling they're having you know the life that they want and Mm -hmm. I you know it's probably a little bit more complicated than that you know um for me traveling was my escape you know, mm-hmm. when I was trying to sift through, you know, what was re- the remains of the life that I had once lived and had tried to build for almost 20 years and try to figure out where I was going to step next, when it became overwhelming, it was good to go away for a week and have a holiday, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I was out having a party. <laughs> right. <laughs> or spending the life insurance, as I've heard people say, you know, and I kind of go, you know, you know, you do what you need to do to get through, right? And so if yes. we could be a little bit more compassionate about that and maybe just not make certain assumptions when we cert- see certain things. Weight gain's another one, you know. Um, I had, you know, people say to me, Oh, you know, you're looking so much better. You've gained you know, some of your weight back because my weight had gone crazy. You know, cortisol does funny things to your body. And when my brother was sick, all of a sudden I gained 15 pounds. And when my husband died, you know, 18 months later, I was down 40. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, so when I put like that, you know, 10 to 15 pounds on pretty quickly afterwards, uh, it was a lot of unhealthy eating, you know, um, and exhaustion. You know, I was just couldn't really didn't have the ability or the or the energy to keep uh, moving. I certainly couldn't move at that pace. That's another mm-hmm. one that I hear. You know, people say to me, "How is your grief?" I go, "It's exhausting." You know, and it was physically and mentally and emotionally exhausting. And people have said to me. You know, you know, what do you mean physically exhausting? And I go, well, you know, there were days where it took everything I had to kind of move from the couch to the kitchen, hopefully mm-hmm. to remember to eat something and then move back either to the couch or the chair, you know. And, and one gentleman told me that 
you know, when his son died, he lay on the floor to talk to people. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I was, and th those are really kind of, they're, they're shocking images in a way, right? Yeah. They're not uncommon, right? Well, there, there's a few things that, that simultaneously came to mind uh, as you were speaking, Heike, and I, I appreciate how candid and, and how illustrative you are because the imagery I think is so important, particularly when you're talking about radio, uh, conjuring up images in people's minds so that the deeper message can implant, it can, it can uh, resonate. Now I've heard in my research and, you know, it's been a while since I've done this type of research, but I, I've heard, you know, when you, when you just referenced not that long ago, you know, three months and people are already kind of going, okay, come on, like, let's get on with things type thing, uh, whether that's directly or indirectly spoken, or that's the nuance of the implied message. But I've heard that oftentimes, you know, two years, the second year anniversary of that particular death that one is grieving tends to be the hardest because within the first year, you're in a state of shock, you're numb. And you've probably spent a good portion of that year putting affairs in order, you know, adapting to whatever your new normal looks like, cleaning house, maybe selling a property, you know, doing all the legality type things and going through all the ceremonial things and then whatever that day-to-day -day looks like uh, on top of that. So second year, I think from what I've heard, from what I've read, and I've experienced personally a little bit myself too, is that's when the full impact in some cases really hits home. That's like, has it been a year already? Here we are in the second year. And because your wheels were just spinning, your emotions were all over the place. Now things are starting to settle in. What would you say to that? Well, I think it's absolutely correct. I think the first year, and I've said to people, you know, because there's a lot of anxiety when these things happen. Um, and they're trying to, they're trying to get, you know, in some ways you just try to pick up the things that you thought were familiar and in your life and maintain them. And, Things happen like you you forget to go to an appointment or you go to an appointment on the wrong day and then you're beating yourself up. But, you know, we now know that, you know, the thinking part of our brain seems to look like it's shrinking. So it, it makes sense that as our body's being flooded with all this adrenaline and cortisol and all these new things we have to deal with, you know, whether it's finances, a property, whatever it is, or even just the fact that our everyday routine doesn't exist anymore. I tell people, chances are you will not remember this this whole first year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's and, very true. And it's true, right? You know, um, and so absolutely by the second year, I think that that's when it starts to hit you, that you are going to have to somehow figure out how to live like this in a, in a new way. And I think the piece there that's really hard is that when we have the perception that somehow or other, you know, we can solve the grief problem in three months or a year, um, that by the time the second year rolls around, everybody else has pretty much gone back to their normal lives, right? Yes. And so yes. The, the support, you know, like I would say, you know, witnessing is fantastic. You know, if you're going to be there, know that the person is dancing. They're dancing with grief, and some days the grief is going to lead. Um, and other days they'll you'll be able to dance a little bit easier with them and support them a little bit more. But if you believe that within a year this should be solved, that you should be ready to move on, then the support starts to go away, right? Mm -hmm. And the practicalities don't change. You know, if you're a young mom with kids and you've lost your husband, right? Yes. Somebody still needs to help get those kids to hockey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very true. Um, 
or even help by shoveling the driveway, right? Mm-hmm. But we live in a society that makes everything almost seem instant. And I don't think our communities are maybe as strong as they could be. And mm-hmm. so we kind of let these things be downloaded. So, you know, I have spoken a little bit and I've been meaning to publish on the blog, but I haven't gotten around to it on just some practical things you can do for people to lighten the load. Um, and I think as we understand more about grief, that we'll understand that this is just part of it. We'll work together a little bit better. But thanks for bringing that up because it, it really is a major misbelief. You know, we say, you know, 21 days to um, start a new habit. But, mm-hmm. you know, one of those times when I was hanging one of those days feeling like I was again failing because I wasn't where I thought I should be. <laughs> you know, that type A personality coming through. Yes. Uh, yeah, the researcher hat came on and I said, I want to find that original study, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And I found mm-hmm. out that, you know, the 21 days is easy if it's stuff like, you know, drinking an extra glass of water. But mm-hmm. it, if you just wanted to even do exercise on a daily basis, you know, chances are it's going to take you almost a year to just incorporate that into your life. So how Absolutely. Can, yeah, so how can we expect that somebody who's been in a relationship for 10 years, 20 years, or it's their child, or it's their brother, or whatever the case is, that they're going to be able to get that piece sorted out in 21 days, mm-hmm. <laughs> or three months. It's going to take years. And I think the thing I've learned also is that I, I need to be able to move forward with these pieces. You know, I need to remember the lessons that I learned from my brother um, or from my good friends who passed. And I need to continue in a way to honor them by incorporating it in my life. But to incorporate it takes time because the beginning, there's so much pain, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can just sit with it, I think, and there's a lot of its discomfort you know, over time, it becomes a thing where it's a joy, you know, it's a joy to bake a cookie recipe that a good friend of mine gave me, um, that is a favorite, but I couldn't bake it for the first couple of years after he passed. Right, right. Well, again, simultaneous thoughts are coming to me, uh, as you're speaking, Heike. So the other thing that I think is very important to impress upon the listening audience, and I'd be interested to hear your personal thoughts as it relates to this, you know, oftentimes when somebody, when there's an immediate notification that somebody has passed on, regardless of the circumstances, whether it was an anticipated death because of a chronic terminal illness, um, or it was an accidental death, vehicle collision, whatever the case may be, I mean, it's, it's shocking nonetheless. And we all get caught up in that. How can I help instantaneously? How can I help? Everyone's baking you a meal. Everyone's like phone (laughs) calling you. Everybody is sending you cards. Everybody's checking in on your disposition, your demeanor. They want to be present. They want to be visible. They want you to know that they're in your corner. But what people fail to understand, and I hear a lot of people say this, is where the real support is needed is when all of that immediate stuff has already taken place. It's all of a sudden the phone calls stop coming in. All of a sudden there's no offers of help. We're taking the kids to their hockey game. We're shoveling the driveway or baking a meal. Um, 
And that's really when the support becomes, I think, more so instrumental in one's healing process because there's always going to be people chomping at the bit to be there in your corner to do a succession of whatever it is they feel they can to support you Uh, and taking away some of those, you know, remedial tasks of cooking and gardening and all of that. But when the person's sitting in a state of silence and things are starting to penetrate and the funeral's already taken place or the um, celebration of life or, you know, the obituary's already been written up. When all of, when the dust has somewhat settled, that's when you feel it. That's when you feel it. And that's when people tend to dissipate. That's when people go. They're gone. You're absolutely. And I think, you know, again, it's because they don't understand, right? Right. I don't believe any of my friends would intentionally walk away knowing that year two is going to be harder than year one in some ways, right? Yes. Yes. Different way, right? Um, So I think that's one of the things that we, you know, we have to keep building up the awareness. And so one of the things that I personally do is um, because we have technology, I will send people texts or I will send them an email around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will try to make plans to either see somebody before or after. Uh, my table is always open to somebody who's on their own mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, during the holidays. Uh, those are the things I think. And it's also, again, it's that dance piece. It's to be respectful because some people may want to be on their own at the beginning, you know, and may not feel strong enough to come out to be in public, right? So it's trying to figure out what it is that they need and what it is that, you know, you are able to give, you know, and and I just want to say, you know, sometimes people uh, aren't able to give because they don't know what to do, but sometimes it's just uh, that within who they are, they're carrying their own things. So we have to be understanding of those people as well, that sometimes somebody won't be able to step forward. They may want Mm -hmm. to, but they may not be able to. And that doesn't mean that they're not caring or thinking or other things like that. So I use technology as one of the things that I do. Uh, And, you know, I will even send somebody a Facebook message or something, you know, around the day that, you know, somebody passed. And it's never, it's just something's like, you know, I'm just thinking about you. You know, you Mm -hmm. are in my thoughts. Uh, I hope that everything is okay. You know, let's let's book a tea or I will call you next week. You know, so just so they can anticipate that they're that I am still thinking of them, that they're not alone and that I will step into that space with them. Right. Um, If they want me to, (laughs) if they don't want Mm -hmm. me to, I'm okay with that, too. You know, and then I'll just kind of stay on the periphery. But I will kind of stay there because I know that when people have done things like that for me, it was tremendously helpful. You know, um, in the beginning, you know, weird story. Both my my husband and my brother passed away on a Thursday morning. And yeah, and exactly 18 months apart. Right. So um, one moment, uh, one of my friends phoned me and got me, you know, in a really, really particular, you know, because the moments come, right? They just come, and there's nothing you can do. You have no control over that, you know. And you know, I can say go, go back to that, you know, you know, I was the, you know, the control person in many cases, the A personnel. You can control this, you can solve this, and I couldn't. And he called, and and you know, what's the matter? <laughs> and it's it's always kind of, I've, I've, you know, I don't know why it was him because guys don't necessarily do really well when they have, you know, a friend on the phone who's sobbing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but uh, he at least stuck it out. And I said, you know, it's Thursdays. I just, I don't, I can't deal with Thursdays anymore. Right. It was just one of those moments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so he started sending me texts like on Wednesday night saying skip to Friday. Beautiful. <laughs> Love you know, that. You know, so it doesn't have to be a big thing, but it was the kind of thing where I was like, oh, that's funny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. And it just takes you out of your head for a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, practical things for sure. Why couldn't you buddy up with people? I think again, you know, it's the, it's the notion that, you know, and it's the same even for single moms, you know, why can't you be the person who drives their kids to gymnastics on a regular basis just to give them an extra hour in their week, right? Absolutely. Um, it's not always a 50-50 in life. Sometimes some of us can carry more and sometimes some of us can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of us, I think at one point or another, will be in the position where we can't. Well, and we're all going to be in the position where we need. Absolutely. So, you know, I think if Again, you know, as, as we talk more and more about this, people go, oh, yeah, really, it's not a big deal. I can do that, you know. Um, and meals can be great, you know. It's like, why, why couldn't you, you know, once a week, you know, at least for the first, you know, you talk about meals. I think meals dry off pretty much within the first month, month, yes. first months, right? You know, your freezer is stocked. You keep eating lasagna. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Which will help you gain your weight back. <laughs> right. But, especially if you're pairing it with red wine. Um, but, uh, you know, after that's gone, it's that, it's that other piece, you know? So, you know, if, if I thought about it, I thought, why couldn't I, you know, if somebody down the street has lost somebody, uh, why couldn't I just throw, you know, an extra meal together when I'm cooking for my family or, you mm-hmm. know, like, or even share rather than throwing it in the freezer, you know, there's all kinds of different things that we can do. mowing lawns, lawn care, you know, but you said, what happens if somebody's just sitting there quietly? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you don't even know where to start. And we're also not um, a society that's, you know, geared towards asking for help. Mm-hmm. You know, we feel like it's a form of weakness, but there's great strength, I think, if you can make yourself vulnerable, because I think we're always stronger when we work together. And that, absolutely, yeah, that is the piece, right? So questions that people have asked me and that I've, I've asked is, you know, um, what is it that you, that's on your list that you can't get to? Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that if you're on the phone or if you're out, you know, running into somebody in the street or just having a coffee or a tea with a friend who's, you know, going through these periods, you know, what is it that, you know, you just can't seem to get off your list, you know? And if you can just, at that moment, they tell you, you can say, okay, so you know what, why don't, what we're going to plan that next Saturday, you and I are going to do that. If you finish it beforehand, then, you know, we'll take something else off the list. Beautiful. Well, there's a few things too. Again, just, I love what you're saying because it's just, this is yumminess to me in terms of food for thought and uh, downloads right now. So, you know, 18 months, what that resonates for me, for anybody who has a hard time conceptualizing time, I have two children who are 18 months apart. And so for people who are in that arena of understanding things and paralleling it, because I think examples and storytelling always better hits home the point that we're trying to understand. So for me, I get what you're saying in terms of your back-to-back losses, because all I have to do, Heike, is look at how quickly child number two came on the heels of child 
number one. And it was like, I'm still trying to adapt to child number one. Uh, and that's an exciting time of life, but it's also a very stressful and it's sleep deprivation. And it's, you know, not looking after yourself because you're, you know, ensuring the needs of your, your children. Um, whose needs are instantaneous that you have to look after right away. So there's so many parallels between looking at what people can understand in their own tangible reality and paralleling it with the experience of what someone else is going through on a timeline. So 18 months and you having gone through the loss of your brother, then the loss of your husband, um, that hits home for me when you say 18 months, mm -hmm. let, alone the, let alone the losses themselves. Right. And you know, I'm, that's you, this is a great conversation. I'm having a really good time. Uh, <laughs> you, because by the same course, you're feeding my thoughts. I'm like going, this is great. Um, because when you had your two children 18 months apart, there was all this community that came in. Yes. <laughs> the gifts were coming. Oh, can I hold? Can I play? You know, um, let me go. Let me go do those dishes for you. Let me get you a cup of tea. You sit down. You you need a nap. You need a nap. Let me go take care of the lawn. Yeah. And then where are those people later? Even family. Right. You know where? Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because now you're now you've been expected that you know you will figure this out, and you, we do, right? There's we no do. Death. But you know, it's like still friends will show up and take our kids out. You know, especially friends who don't have kids, right? Right. You know, they want to be the uncle. They want to be the aunt. You know. Um, you know, it's just it's a bigger space, and people are quite happy to talk to you about your kids and everything that's going on, and they know that you're adjusting. And you know, this is a funny thing. You probably had this happen. It's like all of a sudden strangers are sending you clothing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. It's like my kid doesn't need this anymore. Here you go. Right. Right. Um, and you know. High chairs. It really doesn't matter. Stuff is coming and it doesn't stop like at the year mark. It goes on for years, right? You know, right. stuff that just keeps coming. Um, and it's a life changing happening when you have a child, right? And mm -hmm. when you have two, absolutely. Uh, and the world, I always think that the world opens up. I didn't know this whole world of parenthood existed, right? But it mm -hmm. all kind of came into me, right? Mm -hmm. And I kind of look as, you know, and then that's when you're adding a person to your family and you're rewiring your brain, trying to figure this all out, how it's going to work, right? Especially not having sleep. Well, when you lose somebody, you also don't sleep. That's right. <laughs> for different reasons, for a very long time. I'd love to tell you that my sleep has normalized itself. And the truth of it is it's normalized itself for the last week. But I have learned that there will be things that will happen and it will go off kilter again. <laughs> yes, that's life. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But it's surprising that it does that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, it's like, if we look at that as within the scope of, of life and go, yeah, well, that was one of the things and this is just how it's going to be and we're going to figure it out as we move forward. But when you lose a person, it's almost as if losing the person is going to give you less work, right? Right. <laughs> things to figure out, right? But it Misconception. Does. Misconception, number one. Yep. It doesn't because it's a whole, it's, you know, it's one of, you know, imagine you say you have the two kids, so you're cooking for at least three people in your house. Now, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're cooking for one. <laughs> yes. Like, okay. How did that happen? It's like we empty nesters. We have a term that says, you know, when the children leave, right. But that usually the spouse is still there. Right. So mm -hmm. it kind of, it's a less of a, of a, of a, you know, of a shock in some ways, but all of a sudden at once, you're dealing with a lot of things again, and it takes a long time, and the world doesn't necessarily come into it. Um, 
So, you know, you did talk a little bit about the caregiving piece. You have a lot of caregiving for those kids, especially, you know, when one is 18 months and one is, you know, newborn. Yeah. yeah. My sister and I are a year and 10 months apart, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, when my daughter was like a year and 10 months, I was like, there's no way I could do another baby. <laughs> 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 you know, I was. You know, I remember saying to her, "How on earth did you do that?" She goes, "Well, I was younger." She said, "And I slept. I took a lot of naps because you know sometimes kids sleep during the day and sometimes they don't, right?" So, right, right. You, you you do adjust to all those pieces, but people make allowances for you. And as you're reorienting yourself in grief, we need to make more allowances for it. And the caregivers, that whole piece during those time when somebody is sick, that's another piece we have to do a little bit better. You mm-hmm. know that. One of the things I, I mean, I'm looking at it, my second book a little bit is we tend to think everybody's got it under control. But, you know, I read something a couple of weeks back in the paper and the woman was in her end 40s. She was raising two teenagers. She'd moved her parents into her home. One had chronic fatigue uh, or chronic pain and the other one had dementia <laughs> and she was working. And I was like, wow, that woman, mm-hmm. no time for herself. Right. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those funny things when you're dealing when you're dealing when you are caring for somebody who is terminally ill, you frequently don't want to necessarily go away, at least not for very long, right? Right. But people don't necessarily come in. Right? That's true. So, you That's know, true. Right. So they, they could come in. There's nothing that says, you know, somebody couldn't come in and help you cook. Mm-hmm. Or you know, I had one friend who actually went and picked up my, my organic food box every week. Beautiful. You know, I was like, that is, it was so helpful. I didn't have to go out and do that. It was one less thing I had to do. Mm-hmm. So to do that piece a little bit better, I think, too. You know, it's and, and I think we can, you know, um, I, I really believe a lot of the beliefs that we have around grief and also around dying um, are things that we have learned maybe in the last couple of generations. Absolutely. Well, there's a few things I want to get in here because just always being cognizant of time. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, Heike. This is such a this is such an important conversation. Um, but do you believe? And of course, we can only answer this based on our own perceptions, our own beliefs, uh, and what's helped us get to the certain point that we're able to even have this conversation in present time. But do you believe that there is a correlation between one's healing process? with the actual what happens to somebody who dies thinking or belief system do you think based on whether you're more of a spiritual person versus a religious person and whatever the ideology that supports whatever that framework uh can somehow uh lessen or enhance the healing process I think that's, again, one of those things that is probably um, a person-by-person basis. It, mm-hmm. It's individual. You know, I have spoken with people who have said to me they have never grieved a day for who it was they lost because that person for them was in heaven and with God and in a nicer place, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, that one day they would join them and that one, and until then, their work here had to be done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have also met people who uh, had very strong relationships, I think, uh, with their their gods. And for them, it was a crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, how could, you know, God do this to me? Right. Right. You know, why, you know, what did I do? 
that this is how this this is going to be. Um, so you know, it, I I really truly believe it. it's it's an individual case by case thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then other people, you know, I think who are like you know, this is this is the cycle. You know, yes. we, we've forgotten the cycle. You know, why do we think that as human beings we're the only thing that doesn't die? <laughs> mm, very true. Right? You know, flowers, our pets, you know, um, everything in nature dies, right? Mm-hmm. It goes through the cycle of regeneration. Forests, forests, you know, have spontaneous fires, they burn parts to the ground. And then, you know, new growth comes from that, right? Mm-hmm. There's always these cycles, but we don't seem to believe in it in ourselves. So, you know, some people do, mm-hmm. right? So, and I, I think, I think it's one of those things also when you get there, you know, you talk, I think, you know, if it was earlier when we talked about, you know, when someone's dying and it's a shock and it's not just shock, I don't think anybody really believes anybody else is going to die until you're faced with it right then and there. Right. Mm -hmm. And even then afterwards, sometimes, you know, especially if it's been a long illness and there's been many times when the person has come back and you thought they weren't going to continue to live. (laughs) True. You go, Oh, so this was the time. Uh, And I don't mean to be flippant by that in any way. Do I mean to be flippant? No, but it's true. This is this. It's very, very complicated. You know, these, all these different things that go on. So, when it does happen, there are definitely people who take solace in their faith. And, I, and I'm assuming this is a faith question, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what it is, if they believe that this is just part of the natural order, or if they believe that somebody has gone on to heaven or somewhere else wonderful, um, mm-hmm. or been reincarnated, or their work here has been done, I think that it will always vary. And it doesn't, it, and intellectually, I think, this is kind of almost an intellectual conversation on one level. Yeah. When that thinking part of your brain isn't functioning right (laughs) because you're grieving, because maybe your heart hurts and you didn't even know that this was possible, Mm -hmm. uh, that heartbreak isn't just a word, uh, that all those things, it's just experiential. Everything is like you're just feeling, you know, I think, for me, and you hear, I, I, I frequently say I think, you know, and I've been caught on that. Um, I So I, I feel, and I felt at the time that because all I could do was feel, it was overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was used to solving things. You know, I thought, eh, you know, you sit down, you get the right people. If you can't figure it out yourself, you know, you make a plan. If it doesn't work, you pivot, you know. I worked, used to work with, you know, entrepreneurs. I taught them all this stuff. This, it was perfect in a business model. It's just not applicable here. <laughs> right. And that's right. the thing. So it's helpful if you mm-hmm. have it, maybe, but that doesn't guarantee that it's going to make it, um, that you're not going to grieve and that you're not going to hurt because you are. Every time you love somebody and you lose somebody, it hurts. Mm-hmm. Very true. Well, and it's like with everything in life, and it's not to trivialize loss because, you know, it is something that is excruciatingly painful and it doesn't have a timeline or an expiry date in which to all of a sudden 
outgrow. It's just your new normal and you adapt and you pivot accordingly, however you can in the timeline in which you can. Um, but when I go back to what you were citing about nature and, you know, flowers, they're, they bloom and then they die. And, you know, there's a, there's a stage, there's a stage and there's a season and there's all of that. So it's, you know, I know from people who I've worked with coming from the background of crisis management for whatever crisis brought them to my doorstep, where they thought it was the absolute end of the world and there was no glimmer of hope or light at the end of the tunnel, uh, because they had gone through some level of loss, whether it be losing somebody in the physical sense and what that does for us, those that are left behind emotionally, uh, or they lost their house, bankruptcy, lost their job, lost their kids, lost their whatever. Um, but I, I know that it's been helpful and it's how I choose to look at things too. And I say this for the listening audience, for people who are always looking for an olive branch, a new way of looking, a perspective in which to cope, to heal. It's, you know, if you look upon something, it's not necessarily a definitive ending, but you look upon it as the beginning. It's the beginning of a new chapter. It's the beginning of rewriting your new story. It's the beginning of how to reclaim joy, you know, eventually, again, in a new format with different people um, and within yourself, because we're always with ourselves first and foremost, outside of the external support that shows up on our doorstep with food. So, you know, it's, it, you know, if we look upon things and, I, and that takes it out of the realm of spirituality versus religious, uh, you know, what one indoctrination professes over another, but it's really, if we look at going with your cycle of life, it's, you know, there, there's really no endings in one respect. And I speak from a very abstract level. It's just a new beginning. It's a series and a succession of momentous new beginnings. That's how I look at things. And that has helped me in my moments of crisis, loss and grief. And that's not to say or suggest that what works for me or how I think or how I apply certain belief systems is a one-stop shop for all, not at all. But for anybody who's looking upon or is receptive to receiving a new way in which to garner what's being said here between myself and Heike, there's that perspective as well. And I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, and that's, you know, how, and that's what you have to do, right? You know, yes. um, it's, it, it's a two part thing. One is like your script has been thrown out, right? Mm. Story mm -hmm. was your story is no longer your story. And now you have to write a new one, right? Yeah. And um, if you're tired and exhausted, that makes it really, really hard. But over time, we become less tired and less exhausted. You know, I tell people um, it gets easier before mm -hmm. it gets better. <laughs> mm. uh, it gets better in a way that you never thought it would, uh, mm -hmm. but it takes time. And I think what happens is when your script gets tossed out for whatever reason, in whatever part of your life, it does exactly look like you said, it looks like it's the end of the world. It looks like it's blank. You can't imagine it, um, but it does. And you just have to keep walking. You know, there was uh, an Ambrose Rude, uh, Red Moon quote, which you probably know, that was very helpful to me when I was taking care of these people and had to step up repeatedly in a, in contexts in which I was not comfortable in and that were rather daunting. And that was, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. Um, it is only the understanding that there is something more important than fear, you know, mm. so was the one that carried me through all those other things. And I think that, you know, when it came to you know, the, the point of, of, you know, rebuilding and, you know, that's, and it, it's not going to be immediate. And I think we've, you know, we've 
hit that point over and over again. And it's just going to take people to find their footing again, but they will. And we just need to be there a little bit longer, as we said. The other piece is, I think it's an opportunity for uh, love. Love carries you through this. I think, you know, at times when you are afraid, you know, that you, you're, and you're tired and you're exhausted, it's the love that brings you forward to do all the things you need to do when you're caring for somebody who is ill. Um, and then it's, when we talk about it coming in, is I have been tremendously fortunate in that I have had some wonderful people uh, who showed up afterwards and who have come into my life since. Mm -hmm. uh, new in a way, it kind of allows you in some ways to you know reassess your priorities when your script gets changed, right? Yes, um, it happens in your coaching all the time that people kind of go, well, you know, those people they don't really fit with how my new life is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So sometimes we maintain them. Maybe the connections are a little looser, but these new people come in and, you know, they carry you. And even some of the old people, they carry you, right? You know, just in little things. And so we have to be aware of that piece that, you know, we gave so much love at one point to this whole situation, but our friends come in, they love us in different ways, you know, showing up for lunch or just, you know, offering some of their skills or whatever it is that all those pieces are there. And those are the pieces that when we go to build that new next chapter, we need to also remember that those people are there for us. And I think that's been a helpful piece. So it's not like I felt like it was just me who had to build this. I knew there were other people there who would help me if I asked, um, if they didn't volunteer. So, you know, and I think that's a really important, mm. piece. you know, it's, it's the mix of courage and fear and love. And it's all got to be there. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Bingo. Bingo. Well, I would be remiss, of course, if I didn't give you an opportunity to share with the listeners and eventually the podcast subscribers once this calibrates and uploads, uh, Heike, where can people reach out to you for all your offerings uh, for your book? Where can people find your book? How can people reach out to you who are getting a snapshot and a glimpse into who you are and the ways in which you could be very instrumental in their healing journey. And this interview won't suffice for them. They need more of Heike. So how do people reach out to you? Okay. Um, so the book, let's start with the book. The book is available through the usual, you know, channels. It's available through Amazon internationally. And I'm always thrilled when I see one of those funny sales go through and I have to figure <laughs> out. Um, you know, cause I don't understand what I, you know, Technology has been fascinating. I don't really know how it comes, but it comes, so I'm, I'm helpful there. Um, I have a website. Uh, it, it also has all the lists, so it's got, you know, the Amazon. You know, I'm in Toronto, uh, so it's it's available through um, Amazon.ca, Amazon.com. It's also available through Chapters Indigo, which is Canada's largest bookstore, mm -hmm. uh, as well as Barnes & Noble in the U.S., um and uh through the publisher freeze and press as well so that's uh, you know all those are on my website my website is heikamerchants.com uh so h-e-i-k-e-m-e-r-t-i-n-s.com i'm hoping there's somewhere that you can post that but maybe it, not. yeah okay. it will it, this will all be attached and uploaded absolutely Perfect. it will Super. I have a Facebook author page. You just have to Google me or grief is it should come up and I blog. I have a blog I've been running for a long time called an eclectic life and I do blog on grief, but I blog on other things because I do look at this as my grief story and not my entire life story. So mm -hmm. I like 
on other things. Um, but those are probably the best ways to get me, I think. If you are interested in having me come and speak to your group, I do do that for grief groups and other organizations. Uh, send me an email, again, through my website. It's easy enough to do. And I think that probably covers everything. Well, I do Instagram too, but probably not as much as I should. You know, there's just only so, so many hours, right? <laughs> You preaching to the preacher there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it's good. It's good. You know, yes. you stay busy. You know, the beginning, of, you are so busy with all kinds of really awful things you have to deal with. Yes. So nice to be in a place where um, it's to be busy doing things that, you know, again, as I said, we said at the beginning, this is my heart work. Um, this is, you know, I want to make it easier. I, I want people to feel less alone. And I, I want those of us who want to support those people to be able to do it, you know, it much simpler, you know, it, it's, there's, it's, it's pretty simple. We just have to figure it out and we have to do that together. And I'm, I'm sure that we will, I'm sure that within 10, 20 years, we're going to see a big shift in, in this whole piece. And mm. I am forward to that. <laughs> so. Me too. Me too. Well, Heike, for all the ways in which you continuously pay it forward and are of service to the collective uh, and using and imparting your life experiences to anchor other people up and to let them know and reinforce to them that they're not alone and that there are ways in which to get through this uh, and, and moving forward it, with the new normal, the adaptability, the pivoting for the new normal, I just want to say good on you. You know, I oftentimes say that there's no coincidence behind once you tap into your pain, that then bridges and, and beautifully marriages with purpose. And once you've established what your purpose is based upon what your pain is, then you're in a position and you really are your own leading expert on how to help other people and transcend in this particular case for what we're here talking about today, transcending grief. And so I just want to say I, it's such an honor uh, to have had this opportunity to speak with you, to interview you, to showcase you, and to share you with the, the global world. And you're always welcome. Open standing invitation to come back here anytime because we know book two is around the corner. Uh, and maybe that's another interview because unfortunately we're running short on time. But again, I really want to encourage the listeners, take down notes. This is obviously, you know, turning into a podcast Please take down notes. There was a lot of imparted wisdom and insight that could be instrumental in your healing journey. Uh, we don't know what we don't know. And for someone like Heike, who's gone through back-to-back uh, -back loss and, of course, 18-month turnaround time between uh, her brother and her husband, she knows a thing or two about this. So, again, take notes. Reach out to Heike. All the information will be uploaded eventually once this goes uh, viral. And to the listening audience, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedule for tuning in to myself and Heike of this week on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Very clear on what my purpose is, which is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Wishing you a safe, wonderful weekend. And until next Friday, take care. Love and gratitude to you all. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Halton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. 
Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.